The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes of Frank Open Honest Conversation about gambling addiction and addicts like myself and Happy to have from New Jersey a fellow gambler in recovery. Uh, Curtis joins us this morning. Curtis, uh, good morning. How you doing today, pal? I'm doing great, Craig. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes to share your story. Uh, how long has it been since your last wager? Uh, I believe February 3rd, 2022. But who's counting? <laughs> yeah, listen, it's okay to count. It's uh, something to be proud of. So you've got just over a year of uh, recovery and I imagine life is much better than it was just over a year ago for you, yeah? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's world's different, put it that way. Yeah, for sure. No, I know. it. I, I'm with you 100% on that. How old were you when you first started gambling or got exposed to gambling? Well, uh, first, you know, growing up, gambling wasn't really a part of my family's fabric. I mean, we weren't anti-gambling or anything like that. You know, we would... Occasionally go to Atlantic City as a family, uh, you know, that kind of thing, bet on the Super Bowl. Um, my first real exposure would be just a couple of friends in college, you know, 21. Hey, you want to go to Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut? No right. problem. And, uh, you know, at first it was nothing but just strictly recreational and not uh, a problem. Right, and you're going there, it's social, you and your friends are having a good time. When you look back on it with the clarity you have now, do you see signs early on of your gambling that you know presented itself that you just didn't understand back in the day where you should have known you had a problem? Not at that time. Um, I want to say a bit later on, basically, uh, you know, flash forward, I, I, I was 21 at that time. And now, you know, flash forward into my late 20s, you know, you start to become more of, an, of, a, of a developed person. You have a career, you're making money. So all of a sudden, you know, you know when you're 21, if you, you know, lose 50 bucks betting on the Super Bowl, it's not really the end of the world. But now, all of a sudden, you start to, you know, you see, you go to a casino and then you, in my case, you know, you see a game like craps and you see, like, what a fun game it is. And, right. You know, obviously you play and you, you know, you turn your 5,000 into 20,000 and then you think to yourself, wow, this is, this is a lot of fun. And then that's when kind of, I think the, that, that's really the beginning of, of where the, the problem stage came, at least in my case. I, yeah. I'd like to think I buck a lot of the trends that a lot of problem gamblers have. A lot of problem gamblers had, you know, a pretty much, a, you know, as, as we hear on your show all the time, people flipping baseball cards and, right. you know, it's all that kind of thing. I didn't have any of that. So I, I really, my problems started probably in my late 20s. Yeah, it's funny. I was able to do it, you know, safely, socially, recreationally, and I, I don't come from a gambling background family-wise uh, either. Uh, we played cards on Friday nights. You know, Dad taught me how to play hearts and spades and, and games like that. And it wasn't for me until well into adulthood, and I mean way past 30 years old and 40 years old, where I went down kind of the immature, egotistical road uh, of gambling, which is you know, strange because a lot of people that we talk to, 
know, they kind of get bit by the bug at a younger age, a less, you know, mature age, and they fall into the trap of, oh, it's easy money. I, I can go to the casino and I can make my rent or that kind of stuff. And I didn't experience any of that. You know, I had plenty of, of income coming in, plenty of ancillary income, you know, to go on vacation or buy a nice car and to gamble with. So for me, it took longer to recognize I had a problem, I think, because I was really secure financially away from gambling. And that's why for me, you know, my going down that bad road and losing everything financially and beyond is so tragic because I made enough money where there was no reason why I couldn't gamble uh, whenever I wanted to, as long as I was willing to do it within within a certain amount of means. And that's what I that's what I wasn't able to do, unfortunately. Well, yeah, I mean, that kind of mirrors my my experience. So my experience was, uh, you know, basically, you know, living in Jersey, you know, having access to casinos in the Atlantic City area, Pennsylvania, Connecticut. It just initially started out innocently, but then it got to the point where I was, you know, if I didn't come to the casino with a certain, you know, five-figure number, 20, right. 25, 30,000, it just wasn't going to do it for me. Yeah, and, and that, that's, and that's the problem is that when, once you win, whether it's 10 grand, 20 grand, you know, any arbitrary number, anything less than that mentally, emotionally becomes unacceptable, uh, which is crazy, like – yeah, I've heard Charles Barkley talk about that, and I live this life where, you know, he won seven figures a couple times playing blackjack, and then if he went to a casino in Vegas and he won three hundred grand, it wasn't enough because I've won a million before. Now I've got to do it again, and eventually he had good people in his life that said, "Chuck, three hundred thousand bucks in three hours is more than most people make in a year. It's okay. Let's go enjoy the three hundred grand for the weekend." Um, and unfortunately, I wasn't willing to listen to that kind of conversation. No, not, not a lot of us are. And, and another you know, thing that I started bucking was, you know, now that I'm taking out, you know, twenty twenty five thousand dollars $25,000 out of my account, uh, I'm starting to commingle money from my business account and my personal account. And right. that's where the whole the, the adage goes, you know, not all liars are gamblers, but all gamblers are liars. So I'm, I'm basically, you know... I'm not telling a verbal lie, but I'm for, I'm doing an act that's clearly a fraudulent act or a non-ethical act, and clearly not something that I would be proud if anyone knew I was doing. Right. So, did you, you know, ultimately kind of just, did you get caught or get in any trouble for doing it? I didn't particularly get caught because I wasn't, you know, taking. I, I didn't have like a an escrow. I'm not an attorney where I had an escrow account. And I was taking, you know, applying funds. I. I, I was and still am self-employed. I was just basically using my own money. And, uh, you know, basically around that time was when I got married and, you know, started having a family. Right. And, you know, my wife knew nothing about this. Yeah. You know, she knew I liked to gamble, but she didn't know anything about, you know, me going to uh, Borgata in Atlantic City with uh, a $25,000 bank check made out to Borgata, Atlantic City. And... You know, initially she didn't know, and then you know, eventually, uh, I guess we can get to my downfall. <laughs> yeah, well, let's uh, listen. The spouse eventually finds out, and the, the question just becomes when they find out and in what manner. And uh, it's a relationship changer because you know all trust and faith kind of gets thrown out the window. So I guess we should get to before we get to all the good stuff that's happened in your life over the last year plus. What was that kind of bottom of the barrel moment when you finally had to wake up and say, "All right, I got a problem. What happened?" 
Well, you know, it would be going on for quite a while, winning, losing, winning, losing. If I won, great, no problem. If I lost, you know, dip into savings. I uh, never got to the point where I took equity out of my home, fortunately. I, it was going to get to that point. Um, I think the thing that saved me was it was it happened about two years ago. It was I remember it being, you know, during the COVID era because I remember wearing a mask. I uh, I took out a hundred thousand dollars out of uh, out of a savings account and I brought it to a uh, a casino in the Northeast. Um, I remember even taking the money out of the bank and then the you know the the tellers thinking like seeing it and getting kind of like they hadn't seen me there before making out you know certified bank checks to casinos but this kind of like made their eyes roll and I remember the teller just saying to me like don't get in trouble. Which I don't know if I wasn't allowed to say that for like FDIC rules or whatever, but I mean, clearly I I was nervous myself even going into it. So basically I go there with a hundred thousand, you know, they give me a whole table to myself. Obviously they're going to cater to me because I'm coming there with a six figure number. I lose a third of the money, which you would think, okay, now that's where the story ends. It didn't end. I actually had a turnaround where I, I, made it from 100,000 to 133,000. So you can imagine probably, you know, oh, that's great, you know. Um, and I thought at that moment, wow, I, I, I came in with $100,000. I just, you know, made money on this. Right. You know, you know this should be great. There's and that's the kind of return you can't make that in a year. I don't care where you invest your money. So, right. So course, good, good, good time course. to get up and walk out, which yeah. you did not do. Yeah, I thought the worst thing that can happen is I would lose this money. What I didn't know was that, you know, me and my insolentness two days later, my wife found the pink slip of that cashier's check in one of my jackets that she was cleaning. Right. And that's when I had to come home from work and I had to sit down and explain to her, why is there a check for $100,000 made out to uh, MGM? So, you know, that's kind of, that was the downfall of me. And I mean, if you want to get into that, I'd, I'd like to get into that as well. Yeah. If you don't mind, go ahead. Well, I mean, that, that started the conversation. Like, you know, my wife knows what MGM is. You know, she said, Kurt, I'm not an idiot. You, you can't tell me that this $100,000 check has to do with your business or something like that. You're not buying $100,000 worth of MGM stock. I'm not a moron. I, I, know, I know what's going on. And, you know, I basically had to come clean, which was which did was you? I, I wonder this. Did you come clean right away or did you try to sugarcoat it a bit? And then ultimately you had to come clean at a later date. Oh, no, I was the gambler. I was the gambler. Initially, you know, at first I tried to say, oh, I'm going to explain this. I'm going to explain this. But then it dawned to me when I got off the phone and I drove home that there is no way to explain this because eventually God maybe or a higher power needed this to happen to me for me to, you know, not end up dead somewhere, not end up uh, losing my home, not end up losing my family. So I, I saw right away, you know, you're going to have to face some tough music, but this is going to be something that you'd rather face now than you're going to face, you know, four years from now, you know, living without sure. your family in the basement somewhere. So, so how, when, how when, you, when you came clean to your wife uh, and said, oh, here's the deal, I'm a compulsive gambler, you have the hundred grand, uh, I took it to a casino, I lost it, et cetera, et cetera, was her reaction, get out? Or was it, okay, I appreciate the honesty finally. Now let's make sure we start getting you help. How did she react to it? Well, the initial reaction was give me one reason why I shouldn't throw you out and you should never see me or our two sons ever again. Right. 
you know, I basically said, I'll explain, you know, basically I've, I, I do have a problem. I do like to play and it just kind of enveloped an envelope. And, you know, she knew nothing about GA. She knew nothing. I mean, she basically wanted me to go see some kind of a therapist, which I did. And I'm, I'm glad I did. But then eventually, you know, that's when GA got into the picture and, you know, I, I ended up uh, getting hooked up with a sponsor who, you know, I, I probably needed it most but at that moment i i needed that more you know more more than my wife to ground me i i needed that i needed i needed somebody who was in my position who had right. the same problem as me to tell me look everything's going to be okay and that's the hardest part before we take a quick break is that your wife loves you and wants to be by your side to help you get through it but the reality is that if you're not an addict if you're not a gambler you know, you can have empathy for people, but you have no way of really understanding it, wh- how we process gambling and why we you know, make the stupid decisions we make. But someone who has walked you know, a mile in those shoes clearly gets it. And you're right. No disrespect to your wife who's loving and caring and wants to help you out. She may not be equipped or flip it, a husband for a gambling wife may not be equipped to understand and then have the conversation when you know they recognize some point you can kind of bs your way through the conversation and they wouldn't know and that's the hardest part for the relatives of people like us take a quick break we'll see how things turned around for curtis right after this on hello my name is craig back to more of hello my name is craig on the fan with your host craig carton and supported by the council on compulsive gambling of new jersey 800 gambler welcome back to hello my name is craig curtis a gambler in recovery new jersey so, Curtis, when you first went to GA, and obviously you have your wife's support, but there is that threat, you know, maybe I don't want to stick around and watch this show. How long did it take you to buy into GA? And I only say that because, number one, it's not one size fits all. Number two, you know, I shopped around. I went to four or five different GA meetings before I found a room that I just felt good in. Uh, and I hated going to GA at the beginning until I recognized that I needed to drop my ego and listen uh, so I could get the help I needed. What was the experience for you? Well, you know, I came in, I, I, I basically told myself if I don't come in here with an open mind, it's just going to end up, you know, it's going to end up fizzling and it's not going to end up working. And, you know, I knew my wife basically was at this point, like I said, was was making me very transparent and accountable. You know, she wanted to know how GA meetings were, were going to go. Did I like them? You know, my sponsor, this and that. And, you know, I, I, I came in with an open mind and I was surprised to see that, you know, the people that were there had a lot of the same experiences with me. And, you know, they ranged from anyone from age 21, people in my case, in their uh, upper 30s, all the way to people in their 80s. Uh, they were male, they were female, they were black, they were white. You know, everybody was there right. basically just, you know, fighting the same problem. And, you know, for me, it, it did take a few you know, meetings to really uh, feel at home there. Right. But then it just, you know, it wasn't until after the fourth meeting, you know, meeting ends, it's nine o'clock at nine on a Tuesday night, you know, hey, Kurt, you want to, uh, we'll go to an, uh, an IHOP? And I said, okay. So, you know, you go to IHOP with a few of your GA brothers, you sit down and you talk and, you know, you find out how human they are as much as you're human. And, you know, that's what I needed. I needed to, I needed to understand that I'm human and that I have a problem, right. but 
if I was going to put the effort and the work into it, it would have to go somewhere in the right direction. There yeah, no I think, and that's a, and that's the part ultimately that you know we should focus on on these shows is that once you make the commitment, once you take you know full accountability for who you are and the things you've done, you know it's all right. Like life can still be okay. There's hurdles you got to climb. Like I still do with a lot of things legally, financially, etc. I'm not out of the woods by a long shot. But life is a lot better. Like, you know, before I got in trouble, I had tons of money. I could have done anything I wanted anytime I wanted to. Now I've got no money and and literally no money. And life is 10 times better than it was, you know, five years ago for me. Uh, and I wonder if you had a chance now that you're about 17 months into your recovery and have bought into it and own it and kind of wear it on your sleeve, when young people come into that room, and you all, we all know the look of a first-time person walking into a GA room because we all had that look, what advice do you give them when they kind of feel like, you know, their world's caving in and they're not quite sure about coming back to GA or figuring their problems out or even the worst-case scenario, your depression is setting in and so many gamblers make the decision of not wanting to wake up the next day, that kind of stuff. You know, what do you say to them based on your life experience? Well, I, I tell them, you know, look, you know, my story is I was staring down the barrel of, you know, having a serious pop probability of losing my wife and my two sons. And, you know, keep in mind, those two sons at that time were ages three and two, which would have, you know, they wouldn't understand why their father isn't around. I probably would have you know, lost my, what my wife, I would have probably lost my business. Yeah. I probably might've lost my home. So I tell them, look, you know, I stared down the barrel of a lot of danger and it just, you know, there's certain things in life that just are non-negotiable. So for me, you know, if, if, if I have a problem with, with gambling, nothing is negotiable. My family's not negotiable. My career is not negotiable. You know, uh, none of that's negotiable. And for those reasons, I can I don't have a healthy relationship with gambling. And as yep. a result of that, I choose not to do that. And if you see yourself at a young age, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, developing those patterns where you find yourself, you know, putting casinos and gamblers and online gambling and sports betting and what lottery tickets above friends, family, work, religion, civic duties you should really consider asking for help not to be ashamed to ask for help because this is going to give you the best chance possible to straighten yourself out and you know perhaps you know live the life that you've always envisioned or even better you know one of the one of the biggest changes in life for me curtis and for a lot of the gamblers we've had on this show over the last couple of years is just how much open and available you know, mental space you have once you legitimately commit to quitting gambling. And it's amazing when you look back on it, how much of your day you spent thinking about it. Not even just the gambling part. Like, I would, if I went to a casino, I never got up from the table. I, I was all in to gamble. But the amount of energy, mental energy it took to even get to the casino the days and weeks beforehand, when I look back on that, and now, you know, five years later, I've not gambled at all. The amount of available just brain waves and brain space I have is fascinating. I don't know if you've experienced the same thing or not, but it's crazy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
you know, at, at a certain point in my past, I'd, I'd be home and I wasn't, I wasn't mentally present. I, you know, I, I'd be, you know, in, in uh, church and I wouldn't be mentally present. I'd be at work and I wouldn't be mentally present. And, you know, I'd even be at the gym working out with a trainer and my trainer would be like, Kurt, what's going on? And right. it's, you know, it's because you're mentally engulfed in this. And now, you know, the amount of free space that I have, it's, it's, it's fascinating, you know, how much clarity, you know, because the reality is problem gambling doesn't just rob you of your money. It robs you of your mental clarity. It robs you of your judgment. You're not making the right judgment calls. You know, you, you, like I said, you put casinos, gamblers, uh, online betting, you put that stuff above the things that yep. should matter to everyone. And that's, that's well, look, it makes you, uh, you become a bad father, you become a bad husband, you become a bad everything because gambling just becomes more important than anything else in your life. And you used a, a phrase I use a lot, and, you know, that is you're, you're kind of emotionally unavailable. You're physically sitting on the couch next to your wife or your kids or watching a ball game or a dance recital, but you're not there because you're so consumed with, you know, gambling and money and things of that nature. So for you, I would say this, uh, I'm proud of you. You know, and I, I don't think we say that enough to one another. 17 months is a big, big deal, considering it, yo, how pervasive it was in your life and how it almost robbed you of everything you'd worked so hard for career-wise, obviously wife, kids, the whole thing. And now here you are on the other side of it. And like you said, life's pretty good now. I imagine you and your wife are in a much better place. Your kids are in your life and everything's good in that regard, yeah? Well, yes and no. I mean, the reality is... You know, I, I still, I still, currently to this day, and probably for the rest of my life, will have to work on building that level of trust that was violated, you know, by my wife. Yep. And you know, because in reality, you know, when she married me. You know, she, I, I you know, I was entrusted with, you know, that she can trust me, and doing that behind her back was something that, you know. There's no easy way out. I will have to work on that trust. And, and as a result of that, my life is absolutely transparent. I live in a glass house. Yeah. So my Which is finances, a, my, yeah. It's such, a better, way, it's such a better way to live. I, I, I'll share a story I've never shared publicly before, and I only share it because, you know, yesterday I played golf. And it's the first time I've played golf since uh, 2017. have not played in uh, six years. I happen to have shot a 77 uh, I trumped Benminster uh, yesterday because for whatever reason, I'm just good at golf. But the, the point of the story is not that. The point of the story is that there are people in my life that have, you know, PTSD because there was a time when I went to play golf and the golf course happens to have a helipad on it. And I played four holes of golf, ordered a helicopter, got on the helicopter, went and gambled for three hours, took the helip helicopter back to the helipad at the golf course and then went home. And nobody was any wiser for it because, you know, I'm supposed to be out four or five hours anyway, and you don't use your phone on a golf course at a lot of golf courses, so I'm not going to get caught. And ultimately, when my story plays out, and I did have to come clean like you have, and I took ownership of who I was and what I did, you know, those moments while I've gotten past them and I haven't gambled in five years, sometimes we do forget, you know, that there are a lot of people that we harmed that were left in our wake. And there are certain moments that may happen in life going forward that is a flashback for them to moments that we don't even think twice about. So I had this weird day yesterday where I played golf for the first time and I had to deal with the reality that there are people in my life that were like, 
are you really playing golf? You know, call me from the golf course. You'll check in, that kind of stuff. And it was a good reminder for me that living my life the way you just described in a glass house with full transparency to everything I do is just a much healthier way to live. And I'm so glad I'm living that way, too. Absolutely. I mean, look, to this day, I think I think my wife joked about it a few weeks ago. She said, every time I look into one of your pockets, I'm reminded of that pink slip that had right. $100,000 of receipt on right, right. So Obviously, you know, it's it's we laugh at it, but the reality is, yeah, the people that we harmed along the way, uh, clearly they're going to have it and we're going to have it as well. And that will take a lifetime to build. But if that's what it takes, you know, so be it. I, I wouldn't trade my my last 17 months. I wouldn't trade for all the fun that I had gambling for 15 years or that, whatever. Well, that's, I wouldn't trade it. Well so. said and a good way to end it. I really appreciate your time. I hope you continue to share your story and counsel other people. I continue to get you know the help that you need going forward. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. I hope to meet you in person one day. And uh, be well and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you so much. Craig, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a true pleasure to be on, and I, I'd love to be back on someday. Great. Sounds good. Be well. Take care. All right. Got to thank Curtis uh, for coming on. Next week, uh, Dan Trelaro, who uh, was with us from week one of this show and has taken a bit of a hiatus, will rejoin us in our quest to open up your eyes and ears to the reality of gambling addiction. And uh, as always, very much appreciate you guys listening to the show, and I'm fully indebted to WFAN for allowing me to continue this show uh, every Saturday morning here on WFAN. Damon and is coming up next. And then what do you guys have on Monday? I think it's the premiere episode, if I'm not mistaken, of some new afternoon show. They keep asking me to come back, but it ain't me. It's going to be, I think the show, if I'm not mistaken, is Evan and Tiki. Yes, uh, Evan put it in his contract that he gets top billing, and Tiki didn't give a damn, so it's the Evan and Tiki Show, the first edition, Monday at 2 o'clock, right here on WFAM. Have a great weekend, and thank you so much for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.